Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Carry On With Carrie podcast. Today I am excited to have Deb Corsalitz here. She's a wife, mother, grandmother, and an author. She's an energy healer and a veteran, but most importantly, a mental illness survivor. Her first novel addresses the hard topics of self-medication and suicide. It's her hope that her experiences can help others and that we are not alone. Hello, welcome. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm thrilled. We had a such a wonderful conversation. I just got um, your name last week from a friend, and here we are. And I feel like I've known you for a while now. Right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, the same. Yeah. No, it's really great to have you here. Um, Thank you. So yes, that's uh, the bio itself. Kind of leads us into some interesting, um, like where to start, and and kind of you know, give the listeners an idea of, of who you are and, and where you're coming from as far as your history and the mental illness and all that stuff. I always say all that stuff. <laughs> That's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, can you give us a little, if you're comfortable with that, giving us a little bit of background about maybe your earlier years and, and some of the things that you've gone through? Sure. Um, well, my earlier years were a little bit chaotic. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a dysfunctional household. Um, my parents did the best they could, but very much like most of the parents of our generation, they grew up through really bad experiences themselves that they had to find their way through. Mm -hmm. So of course their parenting was very different than modern parenting. Yeah. Um, as a Gen Z, I think we are Gen Xs and I'm not, yeah, sure exactly where we fall in the mix. We didn't have a whole lot of supervision. We were left on our own. And unfortunately, we suffered a lot of things that we probably shouldn't have suffered and saw a lot of things we shouldn't have seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I recognized that I had anxiety early, early on. I had uh, all sorts of physiological issues that came up when I was young. Right. I think I mentioned to you that I'd had uh, my dad had taken me into the doctor at one point because I had cold sores all over my my face, my mouth. And yeah. the doctor had said to him that he could see the stress in me at that time. I would have been three or four years old. Okay. So I was already exhibiting signs then. Signs of stress, mm -hmm. for sure. Fast forward to 16, I think, was the first real panic attack that was actually diagnosed mm -hmm. that I'd had. And I had no idea. It's terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. I was sure I was dying. Yeah. And it would lead to a lot more um, anxiety, depression, some really deep, dark holes that I would spend a lot of time trying to find my way through. Mm -hmm. We didn't have help. There weren't the programs. Psychologists, psychiatrists were... I hadn't even heard of them. They weren't unheard of yeah, in you know, my world. Schools counselor maybe was the closest see i come from rural alberta okay. so school counselors weren't even a thing a thing okay. you know for sure if we had really good school teachers then they would do their best but mm -hmm. that was as good as it got right yeah we didn't it's changed so much we have to be at least positive for that fact right there is a lot more recognition mm -hmm. we have a I want to say things are a lot more advanced than they are. Unfortunately, we need a lot more funding to mm -hmm. go into mental illness. 
still. Yes. Yeah. Like there are still people falling between the cracks because they can't afford um, psychotherapy. That's right. And it's, I think that's the biggest barrier that I can see. Absolutely. For anybody that I know, I mean, you get your benefits cover maybe two sessions for the full year, $400 a year. Right. <laughs> and right. we all know that's not enough. Absolutely. Yeah. Those, that's how many sessions is that when most mm -hmm. clinicians or, or psychotherapists are charging up to $200 a session. So yeah. that's four sessions. Yes. And I mean, not to say they're not worth the 200 and some odd dollars a session. It's just that something's got to change as far as the coverage and and Absolutely. what's available to people. No question, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's I. That's partly why I, I know for myself why I started this to talk about it is the awareness for me so that people can find out resources that might work best for them. And maybe it's something that you would have never even knew existed. Um, so that's, and for us, that's a perfect example of when we were kids mm -hmm. and you were experiencing, if you had a panic attack at 16 and you'd never seen anybody or however old you were, mm -hmm. nobody had ever seen you or you hadn't seen that before or heard of it before. How much more scary is that for you? Well, it was terrifying. And of course, the people that were in my immediate circle, you know, were starting to think that maybe I was losing a grip on reality. You know, I felt like I was crazy. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was crazy and I had no one else to tell me any different. And you aren't though. <laughs> no, well, and that's just it. And I think yeah. that's probably the thing that's most important to me is mm -hmm. people know that they're not alone. You're yes. not alone. You're not crazy. This is real. Mm -hmm. And to validate the way, you know, the way people are feeling. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and while well, we had a discussion about if you're okay with me talking about um, before the podcast started, I'm doing RTMS therapy, and you explained your experience. And even just hearing, like, between the two of us, what you experienced, I'm like, okay, good. Like, I'm not alone in the way this feels. No, not at all. Yeah. No, not at all. And I think that's, I, I felt very much alone because I, as I mentioned to you, I didn't feel like I had the support of the people that were doing the treatments. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I had the support of people that were knowledgeable that had ever had it done. Right. And uh, it was terrifying for mm -hmm. me. Well, they tell you, like we said, that there's no side effects. And I have to say, I don't believe that. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I'm not sure what they mean by side effects. Yeah. I know that things happen that I wasn't prepared for. Yes. I I am better. Mm -hmm. uh, it did. It did make a big difference for you. It absolutely made a big difference for me. It helped yeah. me out a lot. That's sure. good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is it's so different for everybody. And that's the one thing with mental health is there's really not a, I don't think they have a way to gauge exactly what's typical because everybody um, is sensitive to different things, right? Well, one size doesn't fit all. No. And I know the medical profession got really frustrated with me because they would try to put me on antidepressants or medications that had worked, you know, maybe worked well for people in the past. Mm -hmm. My physiology is different. Yep. I'm resistant to a lot of medications and it did not work well for me. Right. I had some really terrifying experiences and I was reluctant to keep trying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it, it can be, ter that can be terrifying as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's a, it's not even who you are. No, absolutely. Right? You you have this foreign chemical that's creating 
uh, response that you don't feel like you have any control over. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, one of the things that people who suffer from mental illness, the most terrifying thing is feeling like you have no control over what's happening to you. Yes. Yeah. And that's the where the isolation and then shame. I bring this up a lot, the shame and um, maybe guilt for feeling that way and, you know, having to take the time to rest and and it's okay to do that. But I want to hear more about your story. <clears throat> so you have written a book. Um, and if I don't know, if I'm going ahead too much here, do we want to kind of explain, let people know what led you to the point or? Oh, no, not at all. Okay. I So in 2016, I was diagnosed with a condition called trigeminal neuralgia. And it used to be called, and I don't, I don't know if it's used as much now, the term suicide disease, because unfortunately, a lot of people that were afflicted with it, there was no treatment mm -hmm. uh, when, when it first became recognized. And it's, there's over 100 years of data on it, but I had never heard it heard of it before and I did I couldn't even pronounce it when they told me that I had this condition mm -hmm. and um, I wasn't prepared for so is it quite rare they say that it is but you know the more and more I talk to people about it the more and more people I hear have it there is a support group um, here in Edmonton trigeminal neuralgia um, I believe of Edmonton support group of Edmonton okay don't I'm not really sure what the exact name is, but yeah, there's quite a few people that have been through the program. Or okay, it disabled me completely. So I know I told you the story. I couldn't speak. I mm -hmm. couldn't eat. I couldn't move. Uh, even to blink caused excruciating pain. I was on heavy duty medication. I was on massive amounts of gabapentin. But again, I have issues with medications, so it wasn't long before it either wasn't working or I was starting to have severe side effects. Right. So my future wasn't looking great. I couldn't interact with my family. I had no real hope, I guess, for mm -hmm. lack of a better term. Every medical professional I spoke to said, "We just this is what we can do for you right now. So I ultimately ended up going to a Medi Center, and I don't know if you want me to tell this part of the story, but sure, I, I, as whatever you're comfortable with, and, and transparency to me is, right, is like, yeah, very important. Absolutely, yeah. So I asked to be put on the MAID program. Okay. I just didn't see, like I said, a future. Uh, the doctor who I spoke to said. You know, he asked me if I had depression. It was a medicenter, and I said no. I didn't want him to know that I had suffered from years of depression. And he said, well, I have no problem with putting you on the program in light of the impact that this disease has had on your life. Right. And I was referred to the MAID program. As luck would have it. And can you explain what that is to people? Sure. Just that's so, medical yeah. assistance in dying. Yeah. Okay. And it wasn't so much that I wanted to die. I didn't want to die, mm -hmm. but I didn't, I wasn't living in, in, I wasn't fully living and I'd run out of the ability to fight. Right. As I've mentioned before, I had loved ones or people close to me say, you know, I don't want to lose you, but I've seen you suffer, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, what I really needed for them to say was, I, I'll fight with you. Yeah. And um, that's not always the answer. This is my story, strictly my story. Absolutely. So as luck would have it, their Agamonite treatment 
uh, is fairly new in the use for the use of trigeminal neuralgia. Okay. But it was only offered in Calgary and they brought it into Edmonton and got me on the list right away. And within weeks I'd had the gammonite treatment and within a couple of weeks the symptoms were had d diminished enough that I could see a future I could wow. see. Wow, and is this something that was available the whole time or was it something new? It wasn't available in Edmonton. Okay. It was something that was fairly new and mm -hmm. I'm not even sure how well they knew it would respond. Okay. Um, but it did, it, it responded, I responded very well to it. Thank goodness. Yeah, Wow. It, I, I was really, very blessed. Yeah. So and I, it's not that I don't have symptoms anymore. I do still have really, really bad days. It okay. would be the equivalent of probably people who suffer from migraine headaches. Right. Um, I, I believe it's a similar. Similar, um, yeah, because it's debilitating. It is. And yeah. unless you've gone through it, it's hard for people to, um, for others to understand you know absolutely it's absolutely impossible to explain it it's mm -hmm. it's impossible to explain but the books so i started writing the book during that period before it had gotten really significantly bad right but it was bad enough that i didn't know how to manage it and i was really getting deeply and deeply more and more depressed all the time anxiety depression were mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that I was battling at the same time was the trigeminal and I thought to myself I really need I really need a story that has a happy ending and I really need it to be someone who's gone through some really dark times mm -hmm. and so I just started writing the book and I was able to put a lot of my attention on the book right and it really did um, it was very therapeutic. It's gonna say, is it was it healing for you? I bet. Yeah, it yeah. absolutely was. And now it's a work of fiction, but it was still it's mm -hmm. still a journey. Yeah, that's I'm very familiar with because you can't write what you don't know. That's yeah, exactly. And it's even if it's fictional, it's yeah, you're you're coming from a place. And did you find that you just when once you started writing, you just kept writing? Is I, that kind of how it went, or did you? I did. Well, and sometimes it did was just really flow? hard. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, it, yeah, absolutely. I had both of those experiences. But the cool part was, is you get to know your characters. Mm -hmm. Now, people would say, is this someone, is this person you? And I'd say, no, this person is who I want to be. Okay. She she is the ideal. Um, to me, she's who I, I would love to be because she's really one tough lady. Yeah. And you, but you do, you get to know your characters and you fall in love with them a lot. Mm -hmm. and yeah, that's, that's fun. Well, uh, you should see the cover of this, you guys. I'm going to have it up on on the episode's details, but it's beautiful, and I can't wait to read it. I'm excited. I kind of wish I'd read it already, but <laughs> I just met you last week. <laughs> I didn't have that much time. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it's um, so. Can you tell us any like? Is there any little things about in the book that you can kind of let us know? Like, what did you? You said it's fictional. Mm -hmm. So, how, what kind of journey is it? Is there anything that is there anything that you can like give away? Oh, sure, absolutely. Um, so, the story is about a woman who's always been very, very strong. We were just talking about this about how, you know, when, especially when you're dealing with things that you're worried that people might think um, badly of you or think 
that you're not strong or mm-hmm. she's a lady who's always kept that stoic um, you know strong can do attitude yes. you know nothing can get her down she's been through she lost her mother at a young age her father um, turned to alcohol she lost her brother to suicide she lost her first husband in Afghanistan and she's a veteran as well right and she's just managed all these things she packs them up in a box mm-hmm. and she puts them away and she's just always managed them but when her second husband decides that he can't live with that yeah he wants to be close to her and she in order to keep all of that at bay she closes herself off from everyone right and he decides he doesn't want to live like that anymore and the failure of her marriage causes her to break so she turns to alcohol and she turns to suicide as a way out mm-hmm. but the other part of the story is that her brother is now on the other side and he has to face all of the repercussions of the choice that he made okay and now he sees his sister crumbling and he's tasked with coming back and saving her oh, life oh wow and so she she then has to help him make reparations for the lives that he's knocked off the rails okay but the fun part of it is is that her husband that she lost in afghanistan is her guardian angel in the book oh wow i have a lot of fun with it it's there's i think places that are really humorous they are to me anyway yeah yeah when i was writing them (laughs) i thought they were hilarious yeah (laughs) um but it really is about their journeys through mental illness their Mm -hmm. journeys through um, alcoholism which is you know a way of self-medicating yes and it, his journey was um, alcoholism and medication, mm-hmm. uh, prescription medication, yeah, and addiction right. to her brother. So, yeah, and then other than giving anything more than that, yeah. way, I think it's, I had a lot of fun writing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, and that's all that, you know, really in the end, that's that's what it's all about, right? If it, it's something, and I'm sure it pours through in, in reading it, because if, if, I, the way I look at things, if somebody's done something with love and passion, it's it's probably going to shine through quite a bit. So yeah. I'm excited to read it. It's called Making Amends. Yes. And I love that. And I was saying to you, um, I'm two years sober. I bring that up a lot, just over two years sober. So again, it's funny, the connections that you make and the trickle effect that starts happening. And it's like, well, how did I wind up meeting you? You know, um, and yeah, I mean, it's just kind of, it's very cool. That's, I keep saying cool too in all my episodes. <laughs> so cool. Somebody else, somebody said that that's like a sign of your age. Like people don't use cool anymore. Oh, I'm no. like, well, I'm cool. <laughs> I think we're cool, man. No. <laughs> but anyways, so um, yeah, I, I, I mentioned that you were um, in the, you were ex-military, mm-hmm. right? So a veteran. Mm-hmm. Can you give a little bit of background? How did that affect a lot of things in your life? How was your experience um, on that end of things? Oh, absolutely. Um, see, I, I use the word absolutely all the time. I know, me too. And 100%. <laughs> I wonder if that's a sign of my age as well. No, no that just means you're positive. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, 
Yeah, I joined the military actually when I was 39 years old. I called it my midlife crisis before. Oh, wow. Right before okay. I hit midlife. So I was a private at 41. Wow. Which was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then not always so much fun. Um, I think I, I saw a lot of people suffering, I, which is, a, I'm sure, a surprise to anybody. Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of time talking to people that had come back from Afghanistan and and just trying to really give them a soft place to share the horrible things that had happened to them. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot, there's a lot of people that came back and even people that observed that had been through tremendous things that didn't necessarily go overseas that were impacted by living in that environment Mm -hmm. because it's a tough environment. Like there wasn't a week, I don't think that went by for a while when we were posted to Ontario where we weren't doing parades for, for somebody who had been oh, killed in yeah. Afghanistan. So that all weighs really heavy on you. It impacts the family, the mm-hmm. support staff and that sort of thing. So And it's the community that it's happening to, right? It's a pretty tight knit community as well. It's a very tight knit yeah. community. And I think that's one thing that most veterans will say is how much they miss that community and how um, cut adrift they feel when they're when they don't have that community anymore, mm-hmm. you know, when they release. And it's really hard to stay connected because people are scattered all over the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And moving around a lot. And, and moving around yeah. all the time. Yeah. yeah. So it had a tremendous impact on me and it didn't have a positive impact on the depression that was already something that I battled, but maybe wasn't even aware of to what extent. Right. But we didn't really call it depression. We called it melancholy. We called it, you know, black days. Mm-hmm. Or, or um, but I don't remember really having a name to put to put to the way that I felt. Yeah, they didn't the always no give a name mm-hmm. to things, right? And panic attacks. Well, I'm not even sure they gave me a name so much as that, the first panic attack that I had. Yeah, as just telling it, oh, it's just your nerves, or yes. this is, yep. you know, stress, or or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I, I, that's. I was just talking to somebody else about that last week. They, they didn't used to label it with these things. Like for me, I had like uh, postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. Yes, and they didn't really call it postpartum depression at that point. I mean, here and there you'd hear it, but they didn't diagnose you with postpartum depression. It was situational depression. Right. Well, and that's true. And the other component to that when you mention that is how many women went through horrific labor experiences and mm-hmm. were traumatized by that had a form of post-traumatic stress exactly and that was never recognized but they were still suffering from that stress-related mm-hmm. illness and I mean they know now that PTSD is something that people experience that have been through major health uh, medical crisis yes but yet we haven't we haven't done that math yet. Mm-mm. No, it hasn't added up yet. No, they haven't figured that part out either. And I, I even look at young moms right now, and I think with compound all of that with the way the world is right now as well. And it, there's it's no wonder that there's so many people depressed right now and so many people not doing well mentally. You know, and especially in Western society, we we have our babies. 
and we get sent home right away and now you're on your own now you have a new life that you have to make well and and don't continue to have generational trauma too and you know and then when you you know get to a certain age you realize oh maybe i didn't do that the way i should have <laughs> you know like so it just compounds and compounds right absolutely yeah yeah there's that word again i know <laughs> no you're you're 100 correct yeah. and and even the difference from when i had my kids and from the first to the last two is unbelievable like my first child that i had I was in the hospital for five days. They made sure they taught me mm -hmm. how to be a mother. I went how through to bath how them. to bath my baby, how to wrap them, care for them, feed them. Mm -hmm. And they made sure that you were well on your way before they released you from the hospital. And it, it was not unheard of if they thought that, you know, mothers that maybe had a bunch of kids at home and the doctor thought that maybe she needed a little bit more rest. Yeah wasn't unheard of to keep you in the hospital for an extra couple uh, days or right for yeah. a little bit longer fast forward um six years mm -hmm. six years just a six-year window when i had my daughter mm -hmm. and i had three days i was laboring and 23 hours after i had her they brought me to edmonton 23 hours after i had her a really traumatic delivery i was driving home mm -hmm. I, I was driving home two hours outside of the city wow. with a brand new baby. On your own. On my own. And, and you don't sleep a lot. Who sleeps when no. they're in labor? No, they don't. <laughs> do people do that? <laughs> right? Well, I, if they Maybe. do, I'm impressed. And, <laughs> no doubt. I'm sure that there are Kudos people to out them. there. And my hat goes off yeah. to you. That's the case. Yeah. So just the vast difference that I got the bums rush out the door as fast as they could get mm -hmm. me out of the hospital because they needed that bed. Yeah, and it's I had the same experience because I had my son 10 years, like they're 10 year apart, right? So 10 years and then fast forward 10 years later and I'm having twins. And I they took good care of me while I was mm -hmm. in labor and stuff. Right. And then the babies came and God, you know, like thank God they were, they took them right away. They took them to the, and I see you and because they were early but then mom was I was left all alone everybody left me because I had to shower on my own I had to, and I mean my family was all there but none of them knew where I was oh, and man. like it just and then I was sent home in like two days later not even two days wow yeah babies were still there for two months but like all these things right and I've the wonderful thing about these conversations too is you know, I'm talking to um, practitioners now that um, do hypnotherapy for mothers while they're pregnant. During they they can help them through labor. They can help them with post post um, pregnancy. Like there's all these new things that are available, and I guess they're not so new. They were available. They just weren't talked about them. Like not everybody knew about it. Well, so. they weren't available in mm -hmm. the Western parts of the world. Exactly. Yeah. We're a little um, blind to. I know. I Why sometimes. is that? <laughs> I do, honestly don't know. Yeah. Um, there's so many things mm -hmm. out there that used in conjunction with Western medicine for all of these things, for trauma, for depression, for mm -hmm. um, anxiety can be incredibly powerful. Yes. And yeah, together. And if we start merging them a little bit more, which I think is slowly starting to happen, slowly, I don't know. I think for family members, the best thing that you can do is 
learn as much as you can. Uh, I don't pretend it's not happening because this is this is happening to somebody that you care about. Mm -hmm. And if you pretend that it's not happening, you're you're taking away the seriousness of the illness from that person, and they know that they're suffering. I think it's really important to learn as much as you can about it and get support yourself. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of support groups out there. I know with me, I brought my spouse to the meetings that I went to with trigeminal neuralgia mm -hmm. and other there were other partners there, carers, caregivers that attended as well. And so they didn't feel alone. So it was kind of that, you know, magical mixture of I was getting the support from mm -hmm. people who were suffering and my husband was getting the support from other spouses or other caregivers. Mm -hmm. Power of community. Absolutely, community. And, and um, we underestimate just how important that community is. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say is don't lead that person to their own devices. Like, don't, don't exclude them from life. Don't exclude them. Include people that are chronically ill, experiencing pain as much as you possibly can because you're already feeling isolated enough. You're already feeling like um, you're segregated or separated. And then if your family doesn't want to bother you, yeah. then it's really easy to lose yourself in the disease. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I isolation becomes even more and then it yeah. engulfs you. Yeah. Right? Isolation becomes bigger than the illness almost. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yeah. And so, okay, you as the person suffering with the pain, mm -hmm. how is it that you can support your family in that? So it's it's not just the family supporting you, but if you can find some kind of hope in your in your own self to be, you know, just to be honest about it, to mm -hmm. be truthful about what's going on in your in your world, inside your body. When we're in any kind of pain, whether it's physical or mental, how we try to mask it and keep other people from seeing. And we never want to acknowledge weakness. Like I know for me, that's always been a thing where I've never wanted to feel like I had anything that kept me from being or doing everything that I want to do or mm -hmm. you know when I want to do it sort of thing. For me, I know that when I would go in and see medical professionals, if I brought somebody in with me and I would be trying to explain what I was going through and the person that I would bring in with me would say, you're trying to explain that, but you're not showing any of it. Right. You're not showing any of what you're going through. Mm -hmm. And for the life of me, I couldn't figure out how to show that pain. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't even know how to begin to show them the pain that I was that I was going through. Yeah. That's the hard part. Because even just even a wince or a, by some point you just got so used to the pain at, that you could mask it. To a certain degree. When it got really, really bad, I couldn't speak without my face contorting. Right. Because I could barely speak. I could barely get words out. Um, now I still have what I would believe would be the equivalent to terrible migraine headaches that people have. And I'm, by the way, I was not sensitive to people that had migraines before. I was like, a headache is a headache. What is this? Mm -hmm. I am so sensitive to people who have migraine pain now because I totally can relate. Yeah. So that was a really good um, way for the universe to give me um, a good taste of empathy. Mm -hmm. But when I went out into I remember going out to uh, an optician to, to get my 
eyes checked and light was excruciating, like having bright light. Mm -hmm. And um, I had asked, would you mind turning down the light or could you shut off the light while we're doing the test? Because I I was just in pain. And why? Why would you want to do that? And I said, well, because I have trigeminal neuralgia and it's the light is really excruciating. Right. It's, it's really hurting me. Well, I'm sure you can manage until we get through this test. This was the this was type of attitude that I came up against. Then I remember another time that I had I was out. It was minus ten and the cold. Any kind of temperature oh. was horrible. And the unfortunate part of that was to have anything touching my face was equally painful. Oh, so to wow. put a scarf on my face was. And then so, you're tense because you're cold. Yeah. So that became a real challenge for me to be able to protect my face from the cold Mm -hmm. without um, touching it, without putting, because even my hair could set off an attack that would be excruciating. And so it became a real challenge to protect myself. And so I was all bundled up and I kind of had, I don't know, I might have looked like a beekeeper when I went into the grocery store and they had a Starbucks and the same one that I went in and I went for a Starbucks. And and the lady started to laugh at me and she said, how bloody cold do you think it is out there? And I, I looked at her and I thought, why are, you, why are you making an assumption? You know nothing at all about me. Mm-hmm. I've just walked in here to order a coffee and you're looking at me all bundled up. Yeah. And do you think this is funny? And I'm living my worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... That's one of the reasons I say it's really, really important that we be very careful about how we... My spouse, my husband came with me to the doctor at one point because, again, the cold air was really excruciating. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to see about getting a handicap placard for my car so that I wouldn't have to walk in the cold so so far to get into the store because of the pain. And the doctor said, well, I can't give you that. She can walk. Is it um, such a rare disease or... Is it called? Is it a disease or is it a like? What's the actual term? Like, how would you categorize it? I guess I don't really know. Um, I don't really know how to. It's it's a neuralgia. Neuralgia. Okay. So I guess whatever. Yeah, I just wondered whatever that means. Yeah, it's always been really hard for me to explain because on the one hand, um, it's it feels like a disease. It's incurable. Mm -hmm. Um, On the other hand, I don't know that it really falls underneath that category. Mm But I'd be interested now. I want to look. I want to. I would say neurological disorder. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I, I think would be the accurate character. Right. <laughs> Characteristic. The most accurate characterization. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, oh, geez. You said, mentioned something because I liked that the way you were going with that. Um, you started talking about the placard and um, handicap sign and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think I cut you off. Oh, that's okay. No, it was just, it was interesting that they could only see one kind of disability. Yes, like it, you know? because you could still walk. And you're this not was the considered... medical profession. Yeah. This was the medical profession. But I will say this, when we did find, there were times when the pain was so bad and I couldn't get a break from it. So this would this would be days and days and days of this pain. And I think three months was the longest period of time that I, without a break. So usually it ebbs and flows, but... There. And for how many years? Um, I oh oh that's a good question. So probably eight years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it it ebbs and flows normally, but I wasn't getting a break from it. And again, like if you knew a medical professional who had ever heard of it, 
the first thing that they would say to me is, oh, I'm so sorry. If I would go in and say, I have trigeminal neuralgia, they would say to me, and you knew that you were talking to somebody who knew what this was, they would say to you, I'm so sorry. But there was the Northeast Medical Center understood it very, very well. And it mm-hmm. got to the point, we were living on the west end of the city at the time. Right. And it got to the point that if they, and you would get, like you would be losing your mind after that long a time with mm-hmm. that kind of pain and you're not sleeping because it's all night long, all day long. Ugh. And we would need a break. So we, the Northeast Health Center was amazing. They, my husband would bring me in and they would see right away that they'd get me in the back right away. Mm-hmm. And they had a drug cocktail. Okay, I was going to say. <laughs> you know, I, I hate to use that term, but they would have, uh, uh, they would use lidocaine spray inside my face okay. to kind of freeze everything. And then they'd give me a drug cocktail and I would get to sleep. Mm-hmm. But there were, I had one experience where, and it wasn't in that healthcare center, and I'm not going to mention which one it was, <clears throat> but where they gave me so many, such a huge drug cocktail that I was, my breathing was stopping. Oh my gosh. So I had to have somebody sitting beside me in my hospital bed and wake me up because I just stopped breathing. Wow. So they, my sister was there and was, was waking me up every time I stopped breathing. That's um, scary. Yeah. So <laughs> that's trauma right there too. I mean, right. And then you just add trauma on top of trauma. And so I guess that leads me to like a question about how you, once you got out of that, and I know you still suffer mm-hmm. from time to time with it still yeah. not as severely though. It's no, I haven't, not to that extent. Okay. No, not to that extent. So do you, because we talked about PTSD mm-hmm. and you know, just from a minor event, you can have PTSD. And one person's minor is somebody's major, you know, it, it's yeah. just, but how do you find that you still, like, do you have trauma over that? And do you, does it come back to you sometimes? No question. Yeah. And there are days when I have bad days, when I have the trigeminal pain mm-hmm. and the fear, and the fear for both me and my husband, if I say to him, I had a really bad day today and I can see the look in his face, it's reflecting the fear that I, I'm feeling of mm-hmm. having that, you know, those months of unbroken pain and going through that again right. and knowing that I will, mm-hmm. like knowing that right. that I will, um, they haven't got a permanent fix fix for it, is you're living with that axe over mm-hmm. your, you know, right over your head. So now I hope that this doesn't trigger anything in you. Like I hope that you're oh, no. okay. Oh, no. Yeah, okay. I just wanted to make sure, um, and because, you know, in talking about this stuff, it's it's really really great to talk to, about it, but you have to be in a well. I'll tell you self care mode too. I'll tell you what was really difficult was, um, you know, getting my life back ish. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Like I, I will never be the person that I was before, mm-hmm. but getting some relief from the pain and looking forward to, you know, living fully as I, as I could, because again, this is limited time. Yes. This isn't a, a long-term cure and then having a pandemic hit and stop you from living all over again. Yeah. That was probably the cruelest joke. Right. Cause you had just got started to feel better. I had and then... just started to feel like uh, I might be able to do some of the things that I wasn't able to do. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's yeah. yeah, yeah. And you're just thinking, why? One more thing, why? Yeah, yeah. And that was really hard. 
Yeah. That was absolutely devastating. A lot of people, because I think that that's, you know, I hear that a lot actually. Yes. That, and, and then you just get set back even more. Yes. And the amount of anxiety that's being presented to all of us because of that time um, that we're still not out of. No. In fact, I think we're coming out of the, uh, like, we're in the ugly part of it right now. I think it's going to be a while before we see anything mm -hmm. that resembles what we knew before. Yeah. And it, my, I half jokingly would refer to it as the before and the after. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure we're in the after yet. Um, I don't think we're quite there yet. No. It's hard. I mean, and the interesting part of, well, there's many interesting parts, but one of the other interesting parts is that stress is, um, makes the condition so much worse. Okay, that's where I was yes. going to go with yeah, it. Yeah. Yes, stress and anxiety make the condition so much worse. Right. And so, so and your body, because you, like, that's where I was kind of going with the yeah. cold and stuff, your tension, you know, you hold people that don't even have any chronic condition can have pain in your hip because you're stressed or you can yes. have, you know, pain just all starts of sudden starts to come in. So I can't imagine. So are there techniques you mentioned Botox? How was your experience with that? Because I know they, they do that with migraines, yes. um, jaw pain, all yeah. sorts of different things. So, so the Botox, um, helped a lot, mm -hmm. but it wasn't without its own problems as well. Um, the, the entire side of my face would droop. And so I looked disfigured from the amount of Botox that they would have to give me to alleviate the pain. And the other thing was, was it took the pain away, but the twisting and the contorting of the nerves and the muscles in my face were still happening. Mm -hmm. And so my face would still contort and twist from the disorder. Yeah underneath the Botox so you'd still get all oh, of that twisting so um, but it did it, it did help a lot as mm -hmm. far as minimizing the pain to the point that you could speak and eat and yeah and like things that people take for granted like a washcloth on your face I haven't been able to feel a washcloth on this side of my face in years and it just feels so good yeah you know? like when you feel it you, you try to remember what that felt like. Mm, right, <laughs> you know? right. Well, and it's those things that I think if we can just live in that present moment, you know, and realize, like, and it's hard to say, like, um, but those things that feel good. Yes. Just well, hold on to that feeling, I, I you know. I miss the feeling of the wind on my face, Aww. you know. Like, I can feel it on the one half, though, when I had the gamma knife treatment, it, it numbed okay. the other side of my face, and I don't get so the what same is sensation. So what is that treatment? Like The gamma knife? Do you have much of an understanding I of it? I do. That was fun. Um, so what they do is they, and this is quite an extensive procedure, but it's, they put a halo on your head and they screw it into your head. Okay. <laughs> so, and I say that because <laughs> when I went in for the gamma knife, I thought they'd have rubber pads or something. I didn't yeah. realize it was going right into the bone. <laughs> really? And it, but oh, it wow. was, yeah, it was screwed right into my skull because it couldn't move. The importance of them not, um, of them missing their target like it was just too huge because okay. this is a jolt of radiation that's being shot yeah. into the nerves. So then they lock you down into this machine and, and then they fire the 
radiation beam mm -hmm. into that nerve. And I was really lucky that there was a doctor who specialized in that. And I believe he was from Boston working with my neurosurgeon. Okay. And he really knew what he was doing. As I said, it was brand new in Edmonton at that time. And um, you were asleep for this. No, no, I was awake. No, the, the wow. radiation is painless. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. painless. The it just worst, sounds so. <laughs> yeah, it, well, that, yeah. that had a little. Um, that wasn't as traumatizing as the disorder itself, but everything that you go through compounds. It does. You know, yeah. it just it compounds. And they, I used to have this belief that. You know, if you went through pain, eventually you'd be able to just tolerate more and more pain, and the mm -hmm. exact opposite is true. Right. It's it, That's not true at all. The more pain that you're in, the less pain you can tolerate. Yes. You know? Yeah. So every little thing started to feel like um, excruciating pain. Mm -hmm. And the changes that it does to you, both mm -hmm. physiologically and mentally. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. It's, you know, I'm, I know my mom, she fell and broke her um, her arm between her elbow and her shoulder. Why can't I think of it? What is this muscle? I mean, this uh, bone. Anyways, uh, horrible pain. And she fell and slipped on the ice. And um, but she's she did find acupuncture helped, but she felt like she aged a lot. Yes. In a very short period, period of, time. of time. Yeah. Okay, so that resonates with you too. It's, um, but yes, yeah, so alternative therapies and medicines, did you find any of that helpful for you? Well, interestingly enough, okay. I, uh, during a course, again, looking for um, ways to alleviate the pain, I did everything. I did cranial sacral therapy, I did um, chiropractic, I did, like I did, massage therapy, all of those things. And I have to say the one thing that helps and I still do all the time, it actually keeps me um, mobile mm -hmm. is massage therapy on a regular basis. Okay. The it, massage therapy is absolutely amazing. However, I did um, have a Reiki treatment and that changed my life. Oh, wow. So, I went in just on a whim for a Reiki treatment. I was having a particularly bad time after the gamma knife, mm -hmm. and just going through a bad period. And and um, I had such an incredible experience with the Reiki treatment that I actually became a Reiki master. Nice. <laughs> actually, a level three Reiki. Sorry, not not technically a Reiki master, but a level three Reiki practitioner. Mm -hmm. um, and I. Um, did a few other energy healing modalities, okay. color and tuning fork therapy, yep. um, shamanic healing, and now I practice those things. Okay. But as far as pain relief goes, Reiki really is a, a beautiful modality I wish that we would use with Western medicine mm -hmm. because in the UK, other countries in the world, they use it in conjunction with Western medicine for treating things like stress-related illness. They use it previous to operating on patients and they have a much better outcome. Okay. They use it in Western medicine in so many ways, pain control. Um, yeah. And they, ha and they have really positive results when they combine the, all of them together. And that's the thing, yes. right? <laughs> Energy. To, yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's what Reiki is all about is the energy and um, 
if you like, can you give a little bit of a, because I, I was having this conversation with somebody today and she's actually, she teaches Reiki and she is a okay. Reiki master and um, just like what Reiki is from your point of view. Reiki is really just pulling the energy from the universe um, and applying it to our bodies. So yeah, Reiki is a power. It, it's the energy. It's, energy, sorry. It's universal energy. So the energy that, that everything is made up of from trees to grass to birds to our bodies, mm -hmm. the energy that, that runs lightning that runs through every living thing it's just it's a it's a practice that allows you to pull that energy from the universe and apply it to whoever is receiving it right and the healing is amazing because it doesn't just heal the person that you're that you're practicing on it it it's very beneficial to you as well mm -hmm. so it doesn't really differentiate okay you know Right. And is it, um, so somebody going, what could they experience in a session, a Reiki session? I've had a lot of different experiences, but the most common thing that I've had happen is people leave with a tremendous feeling of relaxation. Okay. I've had people call me after a treatment and say, I had the best sleep I've had in, in such a long time. People mm -hmm. that come to me with burnout or um, just mental exhaustion, depression, um, anxiety. Okay. It works really well with anxiety. Now I did have, I did have somebody ask me once if, because traditional medicine wasn't helping them with anxiety, would it help? Yeah. And I'm very careful to say in conjunction with, with yes. the traditional medicine, it is a winning combination. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, chronic pain. I had a gentleman who had just had a knee replacement uh, and I did the Reiki on him. He had a terrible time with the stairs, but after I did the Reiki, he was literally wow. um, going up the stairs with ease. And I had to warn him this is don't, don't get too excited. Don't hurt yourself more. Mm -hmm. This is right. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. 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 Calm down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Go slow. laughs> yeah. Cause then you go slow. Cause this go backwards. Yeah, otherwise. Yeah, 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 for yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, that's really, I, and I've, I've gone through one Reiki. In fact, I was, a, it was um, a class, mm -hmm. a woman was doing, she was teaching others. So I was the, I was the person they were practicing on oh. and I wound up having five different people working on me at the same time. And I just, I, I fell asleep. I found, I felt it like I felt safe. It was a very safe yes. environment, but I was still, you know, I left feeling I was, you know, I slept really well that night, I remember. And, but I still, I thought, what, what just happened there? You know, like it, it's, it's kind of a, so, okay. What is, I asked my uh, guest this, what is one of the last best things that you do every night before you go to bed? Self-reiki. 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 And how does that work? Um, so it's the same energy, but okay. you're just, you're, you just, you're pulling it in and applying it to your points, to the point, okay. to the Reiki positions Okay. Um, for however long you feel like you need it. And if I'm having pain, then I'll apply it for longer periods of time in that area. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's my favorite thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so when you said points for Reiki, energy, you, and energy any centers, kind of, yes. yeah, no, well, it does, it does touch on some of your energy centers, but there's a lot more positions. I guess Reiki positions is a better term. Mm. So it's just a 
place a way to position your hands on okay. all different parts of your of your body that um, receives the Reiki. And it, wherever you put your hands, the Reiki is going to go throughout the okay. body. So. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And are you, do you meditate? Do you find it hard? Like I have to do. been able to do that with, yeah. yeah? I, I like to meditate. Um, it's absolutely amazing. I haven't done it for quite a while. Mm -hmm. I just got out of the practice of getting up and going into a meditation right away. Yeah. And it's hard to get back into those habits. It is. It's those things. Yeah. yeah like absolutely. exercise and like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, know. Well, I was going to say like, <laughs> like working out. Yeah. But I love meditation. Yeah. I love meditation. And I could just stay there all day. Yes. <laughs> if I didn't have other things to do, I could just yeah. stay in meditation. I had somebody, um, even the cold shower. They said just they do that. They they'll they started at ten seconds, then twenty seconds, and now they can go up to I can't remember what they're at now. <laughs> and they said just try it. And so yeah. I did today, and I maybe lasted five seconds. I had the hot shower first, got yes. everything done at the very end, right before I was gonna get out. I I did, and it, it's hard. Have you done the cold plunge yet? I have yet? done. I have done cold showers. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's I'm, tough. Yeah, I've never gotten. I've never convinced myself that it should be an ongoing practice. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll see. I'm yeah. still the debate. I'm still debating on it. I've heard of all yeah. the wonderful health effects, but yeah, I just mm -hmm. haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's each to their own. Some people heat does the same thing, right? right. So it's just yeah. But anyways, um, is there anything that you would really like to leave the listeners with? Um, if you can think of one or just not even one thing, but just something that really feels important that you want to get out there to share. If you feel like you're alone, just know you're not. Nothing is individual. Nothing. Everything that you're going through, somebody else has gone through that same thing. Your walk is individual, but the life experiences, mm -hmm. they're not. You're, you're never alone. Yeah. Very well said. Yeah, thank you. Thank I, you. This has been wonderful. Awesome. I've really enjoyed it. Thank yeah, you. <laughs> me too. I know we'll talk more. And next time, it'll, maybe, you know, we'll go swimmingly and we won't lose half the recording. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yeah. but no, thank you so much. And you're welcome back anytime. And where, okay, so I want everybody to know where they can look for your book and find you and all the good stuff. So my book is two chapters keep uh, my book in stock. One of them is, well, I guess it's not a chapter, it's Indigo in Northgate okay. and London Dairy Mall are the two places. It can be ordered online through Friesen Press or uh, Amazon.ca okay. has the book. Um, or you can go to my website, which is www.djcallahan.com. Okay. All right. And do, for practice, do you do practice like do, for your Reiki? I do. So I have I, my I do practice Reiki mm -hmm. and uh, under Ancient Arts Energy Healing. Okay. And that web, uh, you can go to my webpage and book if you're interested, or look up any of my services at ancientartsenergyhealing.ca. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, I like to get them all out there because yeah, you just never know who's listening and who needs to to find that. Absolutely. Like you said, that's what changed. A lot, a lot around for you. So yes. 
yeah, yeah. it helped tremendously exactly so thank you thank you all right you take care thanks you too okay ah well that was another wonderful episode uh, i really hope you enjoyed listening to debbie and all of the stuff that she has to offer she's she is um a really wonderful person and i really hope you take take a look and check out her her book making amends and yeah give her a follow on all the stuff um thank you so much for tuning in and i appreciate all of the support if you would like to give me a follow and a share and all those lovely things Either you can find me on Instagram at carryonwithcarrie underscore podcast or on Facebook at carryonwithcarriepodcast. The show is also available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. And if you would like to send me an email, you can find out all my information on my Instagram page uh, to get a hold of me and, and maybe book a time to talk. We all have something to share and I really believe that. You know, take a moment, uh, reflect this week on the things that you're grateful for. And let's just try to help one more person at a time.